the beating heart of digital transformation is still human. Ascendion is a digital transformation ally with more skills, superior tools, a new vision for talent, and innovative options to propel business forward. This is David McCall, host of the QTS Experience Podcast. For the third year in a row, I go on site to the Atlanta Technology Professional Annual Golf Tournament and have a conversation with three area CIOs. We discuss the ongoing opportunities with AI, the complexities of cloud transformation, and keeping it all together with executive leadership. But this year, I have a special guest moderator join me. Joel Beasley from the Modern CTO Podcast weighs in on these and other topics. Join us for the conversation on the next QTS Experience. The most valuable commodity on Earth today is data. Make it, use it, move it, and protect it. My name's David McCall. Join me today for the QTS Experience. Well, I have Grant Shee back on the show in one form or the other. Um, I think this is the third or fourth time we've got to have a that's right. conversation. And a few of them have even made it actual to production. So that's cool. <laughs> we're hitting record this time, right? And we're hitting record. It's all <laughs> recording. And I have Joel Beasley, my buddy from uh, the Modern CTO. And we're here at the uh, ATP Golf event in Atlanta, sponsored by Ascendion. So, uh, Grant, thanks for showing up. No, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure to be with both of you. And you guys are uh, master craftsmen at this type of medium. And it's uh, it's really an honor to be brought back and uh, to meet you for the first time. So yeah, it's great. great meeting you. Kind words. We're certainly obnoxious. So we're going to try to rein it in today. Um, look, I want to start off. I, I know your passion. We could dive into, you've got such a rich background and we've explored a lot of it. But one of the things that I really dig about you, Grant, is you never forget this idea of um, where to focus on leadership and where to focus on technology. When you think about that and you tease that out, either for yourself, to your team, or for your organization, can you help us to explain what you mean with that? Yeah, absolutely, Dave. It's a great question. And for me, uh, what is technology without the proper application or conversion of it? And I think in today's world and just as people, Sometimes we're so focused on if we can do something, we don't really stop to consider, should we do something? And for what purpose do we do it for? Uh, so to me, every organization I've been a part of, uh, or, or even if it's leading my family, uh, I think about what's our mission, right? What is our purpose? What's our true objective? And then whether it's technology, a new process, any sort of um, you know, frameworks or sayings, those are all great tools and techniques to get us to that objective or that end goal. Uh, but I think it's so important to focus on your mission and whatever that is, right? So, you know, obviously it's great when you can align to people and places and organizations that uh, align with your mission because then all your energies and all your technical capabilities uh, get focused in something that converts into something of value for you personally. Joel, do you have a follow-up? Yeah, what's your current mission? Oh, that's a that's a great question. So from a professional standpoint, uh, I'm the CTO of Aramark Uniform Services, and we are a $2.6 billion uh, approximate uh, line of business within Aramark today. And we are spinning out and divesting uh, soon to be our own organization. So it's very exciting. It's uh, obviously a very uh, pivotal time in the history of our organization. And so from that perspective, our mission is to really help influence 
the lives of what we call wearers. So obviously being in the uniform rental business in the laundry, industrial laundry business, uh, we know we have a lot of touch points with people who do great work uh, all around the country. And whether you're an auto mechanic or you're processing food in a plant uh, or you're doing a biomed lab uh, that requires clean room and you know very uh, high quality laundry services, that's what we're there for. And we know those people uh, can't be successful without the proper equipment, the proper workplace services, the proper uniforms. Uh, there's a, a level of, you know, not only uh, functional need, but also just being clean, uh, I think, helps you to do your job and to feel proud of what you do. And we are proud of being able to uh, be in that servant role for so many people and have so many touch points with our wares and our customers. That's our mission as an, uh, as an organization. And also, uh, like most organizations, we want to do it in a very financially responsible and prudent way and make a profit for our stakeholders. When I, I, I love that. I think that I heard servant leadership in there. I heard um, uh, focus on our customers that while we're profitable, that's not our purpose, right? You can't be, uh, can't be successful without being profitable, but you have to. Our purpose is something greater than ourselves. But I am curious, a little pushback early on a Thursday morning. Yeah, bring it. Um, when you are talking to not just your executive peers, but maybe even your leadership or the board, there is sometimes tension as you balance between uh, the requirements of the business, the profit, the you know um, just doing business, and this other tension of focusing on culture and people and this kind of leadership between the technology. How, I'm just curious, how do you manage those conversations to make sure you don't lose sight of the mission that you just described? Not just the experience that you're delivering for your customers, but your employees and that mission. How do you, how do you maintain that when it's behind closed doors and it can, uh, not bruising, but it can be an intense conversation? I think it's a great call out. Uh, what I would say to that is it's establishing the mission, like you said, but then I think you have to also have the conversation around there are certain requirements to accomplish that mission and people and the culture and how we treat people, that all matters because without individuals, without humans, without a team, you're not going to be able to execute. And so everyone can have a great idea, but when rubber meets the road, you know, when you get down to brass tacks, whatever phrase you want to deploy, uh, you can't do it without certain things. And part of those ingredients are people who are bought in, who feel fulfilled, who feel like they are part of the solution. And so without establishing the culture, without establishing um, those types of conversations and figuring out what everyone else's individual why is and what makes them tick, then you're not going to be successful. So I think as a good leader, part of those discussions with your peers, with your board, whomever that audience is, is to make that correlation and say, if we all agree this is what we're aiming for, can we also agree that these are the ingredients that you need to be successful. And I think sometimes that tension is because people don't necessarily agree of what's required to do that, right? So if you and I go in the kitchen and say, hey, we agree we're gonna make a great meal for the family, but I think it should be chicken and you think it should be steak. Well, right there, we're not agreeing on the ingredients. And then when, when we finally agree and we get to cooking, we say, well, should we cook it for 10 minutes or 12, right? So right. you know, you, you see examples of this all over the place, uh, but I think in a corporate, or professional sense, they get blown out into boardrooms, they get blown out into leadership meetings, into strategy discussions, and those types of tensions absolutely occur 
But I think if you really believe something is right, you stick with it and you say, hey, I understand. I, I hear you that you think this is the way this recipe should go, but I really believe this is the way we should cook it or, or these ingredients we should use. And even if, you know, you, you might have to take some personal assaults and, and attacks, but if you really believe it, you should stand behind it and, and pursue that. Yeah. That's why Joel and I do so well together because you know what our answer would be. Chicken and steak. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean no both. problem. Yeah. Uh. So you, there's a couple different areas I want to touch on. Uh, the first one is you shared a little bit about your professional mission, but what's your personal mission? Oh, that's a great question. You know, uh, I love my family. Uh, I have a, a wonderful uh, blended family. We have four kids and, you know, being a good parent to them. Um, and I think helping expose them to what our world and what life is about um, and not holding back on not only the opportunities and right? every parent wants to do that but uh, you know one of the reasons I I love my wife so much is that we're aligned that we want to show them what's real about the world and sometimes it's you know labeled good or labeled bad but it's a reality and I think you know making sure that they get a chance to fully experience you know what some people would label good or bad but just just life, right? And, uh, you know, making sure that uh, they not only get those opportunities, but also, frankly, find some of the heartache in life and that we'll always be there for them. Um, but, you know, getting to spend time with them, traveling, uh, getting to see the world and other cultures, that's what drives me. That's what my mission is. Go ahead. That's, that's you beautiful. follow-up. And by the way, Allison, so this is your wife, yes. is how... Dave and I met. Yes. So we love Allison. Yes. Yes, she's great. <laughs> For your, um, you're in a divestiture right now, or you're going through that. That's, have you done this before? And what are you I learning? personally have not. I've always been on the mergers and acquisitions side. So I've always been part of things coming together. Uh, so it's weird to be part of something that's breaking apart. And, you know, obviously, there's usually not a coming together. There's not a breaking apart first. So I uh, know this is definitely a unique experience for me and a lot of members of my team. What are you learning or how is it different? Oh, uh, there, there's so much going on, you know, just like when a merger situation, uh, just all the different filings you have to do. Um, I think some of the mentality, you know, luckily we have a, a great parent company or a current company, I should say, uh, that's very supportive of it. And, you know, there's uh, I think people are doing things with um, well thought out plans and priorities and you know i really admire how uh, my organization is doing this in a way that treats people right along the journey so it's not just about the end result but as we talked about before understanding those ingredients and understanding what it takes to get people to be bought in and to feel fulfilled and feel part of the mission and part of the solution and so i'm i'm proud of that and i'm learning uh, how to do things with that extended grace and that uh you know that human element, right? That, you know, there's a lot of excitement uh, when you look at something like this, but there's a, there's cost, right? There's, there's things that are going to be different for people. Uh, obviously you have to uproot some norms and some things that have been in practice for a long time. Um, but I think taking the time to explain, taking the time to hear feedback, um, you know, those are all additional skills. I think that uh, I get to experience along with my, my teammates and I'm proud of that. Uh, it is. I don't envy you. It is a uh, when change. We uh, we were uh, our organization started off as a little kind of mom and pop shop twenty years ago. We grew up through the PE world. Then we went public in twenty thirteen. And along the way, as you get different investors or different um, 
merger and acquisition or org changes. Then we went public. Then we went back private. And so it is when I've found that whenever change like that happens, unless it was my idea, it is a um, sometimes it can be underestimated the culture impact uh, of that community. So if you were talking about that in general, what are a couple things as a leader that you're like, look, we're going to dive in specifically. One you said was communication. Like, here's what's going on. We all recognize change is coming. But I'm curious, is there something that you found in particular, in addition to that, valuable to say, you know, gird your loins. Like, it is, uh, this could be an exciting time. Um, have you thought through that? Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a great observation. And, you know, if you're looking for what's different or what I've learned from this, I think uh, two, two sides, right? It's not necessarily business as usual. You know, there, there is something that's going to be uh, pretty material and pretty seismic uh, just in terms of, you know, the market, in terms of what we're trying to do with this org. Uh, so that's one thing. But then on the second side, I think what you're more pointing to is uh, there are people who I think probably worked in a, under a different set of assumptions and expectations. And I think we can't be afraid to push some of those limits a little bit more and say, hey, you know, things are going to be different, right? We, we're not doing this to be the same because then we wouldn't do it, right? Something by default is going to be different. And I think getting people out of that comfort zone is probably one of the big takeaways. Uh, and for myself too, you know, I, I think if I'm not doing things that make me a little hesitant or a little uncomfortable, if I'm so sure of something, that probably means I've done it before. Uh, and it probably means I have experience with it before. And while I'd like to convert all my experiences to ensure success, part of it is the unknown. And that's what makes it exciting. And I think getting others to understand that concept and to be comfortable with it, uh, I think that's been, you know, a very unique situation learning here. Do you know what you're like speaking of uncertainty and all of that? Do you know what your role is going to be post divestiture? Uh, yeah, I, I think uh, like we talked about at the top of this or our previous conversations, uh, I'm going to continue to be an executive of this organization first. And while technology remains a very vital part and important, I don't think it's any more or less important than all the other functions that we have, all the other ingredients that we need to make our recipe. And so my role will continue to be a, a steward. Uh, and an executive and a, and I hope a good representative of my firm and, and my team and my people um, going forward. And then on the side, yes, I still need to worry about the technical matters and I still have to do the CTO type of stuff. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, I have a pretty clear vision on what that role is going to be. Um, you know, I think guiding, you know, 18,000 plus uh, people along with my peers and teammates and making sure that they have, you know, a great place to work, that they come into their environment and leave just as they are safely, right? We are big on safety first. Uh, we want to make sure that we provide opportunities and a, a way for people to support uh, their livelihoods and their families and feel good about what they do uh, for them to understand our mission that we talked about earlier uh, and to, you know, create a great experience for them, right? So one of the reasons I love my organization is because we are very experience focused. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that, you know, as we talk about my personal mission, right? Uh, the, the need for time with the family, the need for travel and seeing the world. It's about experiences, right? And, and I feel like I've found a place where that aligns very well. I'm curious. You've talked about experience a lot. And I also think in that same word, expertise, right? Same root. In my world, we have um, quadrupled easily, like and, and orders of magnitude. So where we used to be 
building a data center once or twice every year or two. We're now building six or seven a year, and they're exponentially larger. And so as we work on not just a supply chain conversation that everybody talks about, about their infrastructure and our people, um, we've always been an organization of a lot of artisans. And now we're looking at organizations like, for example, the U.S. military, the Air Force or the Navy or the Army that onboard tens of thousands of people a month, bring them very specific clarity and have them a few months later, core, able, basic um, soldiers. The One of the best examples of that in the uh, corporate world, I think, is Uber. They, they, they have such great clarity for the drivers, for the passengers, for the data analysts, for the application developers. Like they onboard all these people. People have this customer experience pretty quickly. Um, it's been very successful and hundreds of thousands of people a month. As you guys look at your expertise and your experience, we used to have to give a lot of experience to get to a certain expertise level. And now through standardization and other things, we're looking at how do I have the least experienced level to still get an outcome that I want. So how I don't know how that impacts your world, but I'm curious, how are you thinking about that? I think for me personally, I'm very careful with that word expertise. And uh, and I, and I, I look, I look in the mirror when I say these things, right? I don't know what I'm an expert on. Um, and it's because, as we talked about uh, when we you know were kind of brainstorming this session, to me, it's more about conversion. And you know, what good is it to be an expert and have experiences and draw from things if you're not converting into something? Because I think oftentimes I find situations where not everyone, but some individuals take a lot of pride in that expertise as if that's the end goal, right? Look at my resume, look at my history, look at what I've done. Okay, great. How is that applicable to what we're about to do or to the situation that we're in now? And so instead of, I think, highlighting what has happened or what you do know, what are we converting it into? You know, I, I look at personal examples where uh, a lot of times, you know, we'll go out and find a contractor for work around the house or the yard. And they always come and say, we've done this for 25 years and we've seen all the situations and blah, blah, blah. And here's a quote. And then when we get to my job at my home in my situation all of a sudden we hit a problem mm -hmm. and it's like well let's learn how to do this and hey wh where was that 25 years of expertise right, right. <laughs> what did we convert that into how are we uh, how is that helping me right now and so i think i'm just very personally cautious about going to you know you guys and saying hey i'm an expert in this that's great but for the situation we're in how does that convert right what am i doing with that experience to actually help you or to get out of a situation or to make things better. Right? Uh, me talking about my past, me talking about credentializing myself, that doesn't help right now if I'm not converting all that knowledge into something of true value for that moment in time that we're in now. I'm waking up now. That was good. <laughs> I was like, now I know why Grant's, you know, is doing this. He's, you're brilliant, dude. The ex expertise, you, you picked up on something that was like very, very nuanced that I hadn't I've experienced it before, but I haven't ever put words to it. And whenever something like that happens, I'm like, let's jot it down. Got to make that a clip. It sounds awesome. <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, no, I, I believe in it a lot. And you know, I, that's forced me to take stock in the things that I do and how I do them to say, you know, I don't think people are here to hear me wax poetic about you know, my past or what great victories I had. I'm pretty sure my value here is to convert that into something that is 
essential and valuable for this situation. And so I look for that in other people now too. And, uh, and, and I think that's a mindset that's helped advance the mission of other things that I'm involved with. So that communication, your ability to communicate how your past experience is applied to the current situation is a difference between what I would call maybe when I was hiring a lot of engineers, like good engineers and great engineers, you know, good engineers can come in. I, here's all the project I worked on. Here's all the problems I solved. Here's all the stuff I know. Great engineers come in and ask you, what are you guys doing? Yes. And then, and then they say, oh, okay. And they will apply their experience to that. So yeah, that's uh that's a good, I'm going to, I'm bookmarking that. <laughs> it reminds me of Patton. Patton said long time ago, I'm sure you've heard this before. Those, those guys went through the military training. They all did those things. It's not how good your training was or wasn't. You let them give their life for your, their country, right? You, you, you accomplish the mission, you win the war. So our job isn't just training and all these other things. It's accomplish the mission, troop welfare and win the war. Um, and we can some, that's why I like the Uber experience. Cause I, I know who's going to be where I know, well, how much is going to cost me? I know about how long it's going to take all things being equal. I get a receipt for it. But if I hire the handyman that comes over, I have a, an, a, a maybe, um, I still have a little tree laying in my backyard by the dude who was supposed to get that done. And so that's a lack of clarity. They've cut a million trees, but my price and experience is still vague as opposed to the simple app. That, that's right. And I think we all use Uber in so many examples because at the end of the day, it is a great example of conversion. Because of Uber's existence, the technology, what it re means and represents, the experiences now, I don't have to worry about driving. Right? I don't have to worry about parking somewhere. I don't have to worry about gas. I don't have to worry about owning a car. There are kids now who don't want to get a license because that they're converting that capability into delaying what we used to define as adulthood and freedom. But mm -hmm. now they're saying, well, I have an alternative for it now. Mm -hmm. So that it's truly being converted into something that's more than a technical platform, mm -hmm. more than something on your phone. It's a different experience, a different way to live. And, you know, we're at a golf tournament. You can go on the practice range and hit a thousand balls. When you get out there, you, you have to convert that into scoring, right? Mm -hmm. You have to convert that into getting the little white ball into the hole. And credit to all the PGA pros and the really good golfers out there, they can convert that not only on every shot, on every hole, but they have to do it four days in a tournament, I guess three if you're in the LIV, but still, you know, and, and then you do that over a course of a season and then a career, you know, that's, that's hard work. That's true expertise. You're yeah. converting all that practice, all that time spent into actual results, into victories um, in how you define and how you measure. And so I think we have to take more of that mentality to say, you know, it doesn't do us good to have all this expertise and all these skills and experiences if that's the end goal, right? What are we converting it into? And again, if, if your mission is just to grow and learn and do that, then you are doing what you're converting. I'd like to think for a lot of us, that's not enough, right? That's not the end goal. I have a question for both of you. Chime in. Uh, I've ne I don't think I've ever heard an expert refer to themselves as an expert. They'll typically talk about their experience or they'll be talking in an expert way about something, but it's almost always someone else looking at them and saying that they're an expert. Yeah. So I almost find it odd when people do raise their hand and say that they're an expert because that's almost like a huge indicator that they might not be. <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right, Joel. It's like a comedian going out and saying, I'm funny. Yes. Right. You, you know when you are because that's what you exhibit. And that is what people see. I don't think, you know, words are easy. In our society, people use words, I think, too freely. 
And in these days, they become damaging, right? Social media and all the different platforms, words hurt people, words are meant, um, used irresponsibly. But I think when it comes to it, your intentions and your actions, how it affects those around you, your influence and the, the wake of what you do, that's the real impact. And if you're converting into something positive for people, that you're helping them, that you're being a positive uh, force for them, that's where that expertise comes in. So I, I think you're absolutely right. That explains my golf game. I cannot get in the hole, but I can hit the crap out of that tractor out on the driving range. That's right. Because that's all I've been trying to that's do right. for and the last 20 years. The, I switched to disc golf anyway. Who's got succeeded. time for that? I'll throw a Frisbee, not that nonsense. It is, um, in response to your question, there are plenty of, there are people that I have in my industry or at my organization that if pressed, if we define expertise as being able to accomplish a certain thing in a certain amount of time, or if they got so many, you know, the 10,000 hour rule or whatever. And it's not offensive if they're humble, like they're almost pressed into it. I see it way more often, even when they are experts, like I would consider them an expert, but they're arrogant. And what I mean by that is they usually don't say it. That's almost, that's almost into narcissism, but they, they sit there with their arms crossed and kind of like, here comes Grant or Joel or Dave talking about the idea again, and that's not how firewalls work, and you don't know how fill in the blank, you know, DDoS attack or code releases work or whatever. And so um, I once heard a, a friend of mine who was a former uh, rep, um, congressman in Virginia say, we were doing all the right things. I was an expert on campaigning, being a politician. We had all the right stuff till I lost the election. And back to your convergence, all of this stuff, all of my expertise, all of my quick-witted and understand the issues, if I don't connect and accurately track to persuade the people I want, either are or I want to be my constituents, I lose. It's just that simple. And I hope that anybody who does consider themselves an expert, myself, you, whoever, have some mechanism, usually with people and tools to evaluate, am I? Do I have the emotional expertise? Do I have the technical expertise? And that's not always easy. Uh, I know in my life, it's uh, sometimes been pretty uh, painful. So the, the truth is tough sometimes. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I, I think uh, no one wants to hear it. It's not something you seek out, but sometimes it's necessary uh, to, to check and make sure that something that you think is true or not about either you or those around you. And so I think that's just, that's just part of life, right? Yeah. We have to accept that sometimes we don't want to hear that we're not good at something or that we're not an expert at something, but the reality is we're not, and that's okay, yeah. right? We can continue to strive, but sometimes we're just not. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I took that advice when I was putting on that flying wingsuit and getting ready to jump. And they're like, <laughs> some people are more aerodynamically built for this. I want you to imagine a brick with arms and feet that we're about to throw <laughs> off of this thing. Their expertise it of aerodynamics be to hopefully more graceful convert you than you. a good decision. So, when I got uh, to meet Dave today for the first time in person. We've known each other for a couple of years. I was like, that's a strong dude. He just picked up that case like nothing. The Pelican case. You're like a big, strong bear. Dude. Yeah, that's uh, anyway, that's my expertise. Uh, back to chicken and steak. Joel, why don't you uh, bring us home? What you got? Wrap us up. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if you're allowed to answer this, but I'll maybe ask it in the softest way possible because I am curious to wrap up on the M&A thing because I always like tactical stuff as much as I can and selfishly, I just kind of want to know. So I know you're doing the divestiture. I've gotten a number of calls over the years from people doing M&As 
that are like, hey, Joel, you talk to a lot of tech leaders. My team is freaking out because we're doing an M&A right now. They don't know if their projects are frozen or they're going to be let go or whatever it's going to be. There's a lot of change happening and everybody's kind of like frozen up. How do I lead them through this situation? So my first part of the question is, is that a similar thing happening in a divestiture? Is it more clear in a divestiture and there's less stress and ambiguity? Or is it like that and you're dealing with that right now? I think overall, there's probably a little bit less ambiguity uh, because it's things are going to change, but it's more an issue of we're going to have to do more with less, right? We're, we're breaking off from other folks. And so we have to be self-sufficient and we have to learn certain skills that we may not have done before. But I think people are more comfortable when you're asking them to do more. In mergers and acquisitions, obviously, the, the concern is, well, what if I'm being asked to do less? because I'm merging with someone who's more capable or more better structured. So I think there's probably a little less of the nervousness, but there is still change, like we talked about, and there is still a difference, and that's the part that makes people uncomfortable. And I think, uh, getting back to your point, communications with people is always key. And being as upfront with them and telling them, look, first it's acknowledgement that this is not the same, that things are gonna be different, and we have probably different expectations, and that's okay. And when we get to that point where those expectations don't align with your personal mission or your personal fulfillment, then I think we have to have an adult conversation on what do we do about that. But let's not ignore it. Let's not sweep it under the rug. And I think let's just be very upfront about it. And, you know, whether it's an M&A or a divestiture or just running your business, that's kind of the way I would like to operate every day. Mm. Yeah, he's a professional. Yep. Yeah, I love it. You can't solve anything you can't talk about. And so that's right. Well, Grant, we're getting the signal. Okay. That well, it's been a it's pleasure talking to you guys about all this stuff. So thank you again for the opportunity. Yeah, our great pleasure. And we'll have a, uh, hopefully, well, we'll have a link to this and then an um, opportunity for you to be on Joel's show. I'm looking forward um, to that. Yeah. Later this year. And uh, good luck today out on the course. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. Have all a right. good day. What a fantastic name to lovely. I bet you've never heard that before. <laughs> but that is, a, is that your real name? That is my real name. Uh, I have had to pull out my driver's license a few times in my lifetime. Um, people ask if it's my stage name. Um, is it my roller derby name? Oh my gosh. Um, but it is my real name. It is my real name. I, I want to go join the roller derby now. <laughs> um, mine would be uh, old and slow. No, the <laughs> chicane would be... Uh, lovely. Thanks for joining us today on a beautiful day here. Um, we only have a little bit of time with you. So I want to dive right into um, this idea of cloud transformation. So I got to believe um, it's already hard doing the world that you guys are doing. And now you're doing cloud transformation. What does that mean for you? Wow. Um, well, you know, for me, it is really huge, and I'm honored to be a part of something so spectacular with mm -hmm. Equifax. Um, just at a high level, for people to understand the magnitude of it, is uh, we've invested $1.5 billion in moving our entire infrastructure to the cloud. Um, and what that includes is you know, putting security first, being best in class in security, mm -hmm using the scalability and the power of cloud, and then bringing all of our data together in one place mm -hmm. um, so that it's accessible and we can provide uh, the best type of products for our customers with world-class technology. Um, for me personally, and what I get up every day to do is make sure that we have uh, the right processes, uh, the best tools, and the right people 
to make sure that that transformation actually happens and lands um, and is accelerated as, as fast as possible mm-hmm. so that we can continue to give our customers what they need and help people live their financial best. I'm going to turn this over to Joel in a second, but I cannot help but resonate. First of all, I love that name to lovely. I wish I had been named to lovely. Um, but my chief revenue officer in a, a meeting the other day just walked us through, and we're in the data center business, tools, people, process. Yep. And um, uh, I don't think it's it's uh, just having a moment. I really do at least from his perspective, like there is no way if any of these fall down, it's not just we fail, we're like we don't exist anymore. We have to deliver on those yeah. three things. It it may sound really cut and dry, simple, but it is very complex and it is very important for you to be focused on those three things, those people, processes and tools. Um, those are not new. But sometimes we put them in a box and we try to impact them in a general view versus being very specific and focusing on what the real needs are and being laser focused on removing waste, making sure that the processes are helping people. Um, they are not adding layers of complexity. And, and we have work to do, um, but every day we're trying to get, you know, we're, we're trying to video game, you know, shoot them out of the range, you know, out of the, the frame and make sure that people can move forward with the mission. Mm-hmm. You said $1.5 billion on the cloud transformation. You mentioned uh, security. When I had talked to Bryson a few years ago, I had asked him how, you know, what, what he was thinking about in security and how he was handling it. And he said something that I still remember to this day. And he said that the, the key is to make the security baked in versus bolted on. Not, not by vendors bolting on things, but to baking it and all the way down to the developers, the engineers, that is just part of something that they know how to do. He was early days when I talked to him on that mission. Is that been achieved? Is it baked in now? Absolutely. Equifax is uh, leading in security in our industry in fintech. You know, we have one of the highest Gartner scores in security out there now. Um, our, uh, our leaders in security uh, run by uh, Jamil Farshi. Um, he makes it part of our everyday, you know, and in technology, product, and DNA, it's everything from how we build everything to how we operate even in our office and outside the office. Um, we are constantly having to attest that we understand our security posture and our <laughs> measures. Um, it's uh, a little bit of a uh, competition sometimes um, to make sure that each department, each team has done their attestation as as fast and as soon as, uh, as, as faster than the security team actually. Um, but we're really serious about making sure that our customers know that when they do business with us, their data is secure, the way we work is secure. Um, and it's really just good hygiene all around, even in a day where um, we hear about um, all the malfeasance and the bad actors in the um, internet space space and in the digital space, um, when you live it and breathe it every day at work, you can easily take it home to your friends and your family, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that's what Equifax has been doing really well. Mm. I'm curious when you move, when people move into the cloud or out of the cloud for that matter, but especially the, the scope and size of what you're describing, in addition to that privacy, security, um, denial of all of those things. How do you look at the emerging technologies like AIs having a moment? I mean, it's been there forever, but now it's front and center of every news agency. Yeah. But whether it's that or any other tech, how do you imagine as you're going through this transformation? It's not just it's so easy, at least in my experience, to get caught up in the moment. Yep. And 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 
and also be looking over the horizon. You got to focus on the moment. You got to yeah. deliver on the moment, but also looking over the horizon. As you look at your managing today and you're looking over the horizon, what are some of the things you guys are thinking about or we considering? We have some awesome technologists who, number one, are uh, well versed in the possibilities and the opportunities with AI. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm I'm merely just enjoying to use it for my home <laughs> purposes and my own personal reasons. Um, but I think, you know, from the vantage points that I sit in, it's really important to, again, look at the possibilities, play with those opportunities and possibilities. But as you said, focus on the ball. Focus on what we need to do today, just like we're doing for the golf tournament today. Focus on that ball. Which you're going to win. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's more courses out there. Um, there uh, are different holes out there, yes, and you should be thinking about that. And I think Equifax is doing a good job of, of, of playing in both spaces. You know, we're definitely having a lot of conversations about the potential, about the opportunity. We're here for it. We're ready. We're really excited about it. Um, I think that we see it as ways to accelerate our business, to really uh, give the customers what they need, um, and think about things that the customers may not even be thinking about. Um, at the same time, how can we use AI to do some of the repetitious tasks that goes back to the processes and the peoples and the tools. How do we use automation and AI to make us be able to do more, to look at what those possibilities are? So I can you know, use AI for these things that usually would take me several hours, several hours a day, several hours a week, and now I can do other things. I can be imagining that future. I can be thinking about what, you know, wasn't what I didn't think was possible before. So being able to be in both spaces is really important and key. And having the right people with the right curiosity, um, the right technology lens, the right product product lens, the right DNA lens, um, I think that's what we're really trying to strive for uh, with the Equifax team. How long until ChatGPT knows my credit score? <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we definitely don't want that to happen. We just talked about security, right? So definitely, well, they, they do have uh, the apps, though. I was curious. Are you guys thinking about the the app store that they released? Because then I could like authorize ChatGPT into my Equifax information, and they, maybe they could counsel me on on credit stuff. They're like, "Hey, that your score is score's too high." Not my area no. of expertise, so <laughs> I will not even comment on that. Um, but yeah, like I mean, even even I every day when I get into conversations when we talk about AI, my mind is like blown. I'm like, "Wow, I'm just wow. Oh my gosh." So, yeah. you know, thankfully they don't have me at the helm of that that type of strategy. Um, I'm definitely on the periphery, but um, you know, we definitely have to make sure that whatever space we play in, um, it's the best to make sure that we stay secure, that we stay, you know, uh, pioneers in our space, and uh, we're really focused on the customers. And just for context, is the transformation complete, or are you still in the middle of it? Uh, we wouldn't, we're definitely not in the middle. We're definitely rounding out to the edge here. Okay. Um, we, we've done a lot of work over the last three and four years. Um, I'm super excited that I was have been a part of it, but there's there's some that we have completely finished and done. We planted this, the flag of of yeah, we're done. We're moving on. Uh, you know, we're developing products now, faster, smarter, better. Um, so it's right there at the horizon for us. What's your favorite stress management techniques? Because these projects are not easy. You've been going through it for years and years. How do you manage stress? That you can say. That you can talk about. Um, You know, I really do enjoy uh, cooking. I love to be in my kitchen. Um, I love to even be at the grocery store looking for the ingredients. Uh, that's, That's really, I love to go like late. No one's there or really early in the morning. Um, 
you know, I really am into, funny enough, comic books Ooh. and Star Wars. Um, like, I was just binge watching The Bad Batch last night. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, I do love sports, all sports. Mm. I'm here with golf today. Uh, I love basketball, totally into the finals right now. Mm. Uh, football, so bad, so ready for football to be back. Mm. Um, but, you know, anything from, you know, just binge watching my favorite shows to reading about character arcs to cooking. Uh, I like also being outdoors. So that's why I'm also here golfing today. My last question is if Dave were a comic book character, which would he be? Take your time. No pressure. Yeah. I'm thinking. Oh. Mm-hmm. Wolverine. 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 Yeah. 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 There mm. you go. Yeah. Wolverine. Um, I was thinking Puff the Magic Dragon. Okay. <laughs> Rounder, little wings, can't really get off the ground, but really kind of a pushover, but can roar like nobody's business. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I think, I think that, or uh, um, something like that. Yeah. I think it'd be a great uh, uh, killer whale that doesn't have Ooh. to bite anything, because I like to float. Orcas are good. Yeah. 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 I like to float, do yeah. something like that. Yeah, That'd be cool. cool. I'd have to think about that. Um. I'm curious. Oh, first of all, along those lines, have you ever? Are you uh, Atlanta native? Are you from? I've or been, been here thirty here for, years. Okay. Have you ever years. been to Dragon Con? I have not been to Dragon. Con. Okay, so you're missing an event now that no, we are. No, I've been to the parade. Okay. I've been to the parade okay. more than okay. more than once. I just have never gone into the bowels of that hotel where I okay. hear some interesting things. Well, happen. yeah, it's kind of like. So Dragon Con 30 years ago was like Vegas 30 years ago, if you know what I'm saying. And now it's, you know, you. I remember when I first went to Vegas, they'd hand you pamphlets of stuff. You're like, oh, what's this? What's this? <laughs> it's not that Vegas anymore. Um, not, not, on the, not in the main anyway. And so Dragon Con has gone through a revitalization. But it's, it's, the parade is awesome. Yeah, I always go to the parade. But uh, my kids and my wife, all art majors, all sci-fi fantasy people. Um, so they are uh, my middle one, hopefully last semester, fine arts and a minor in Korean. So it's an interesting. Awesome. And my wife's half Japanese and half Irish. Oh, wow. So we've got this very eclectic Melting world. Pot. Yes. But to go and people watch or any of the big comic cons and you get everything from the amateur stuff to the pros and now that there's so many makeup artists and sci-fi people here in this city that are part of the marvel sets or whatever it's really pretty amazing i think you'd dig it beyond the parade just to go down and get a yeah. seat at one of the restaurants don't pay to go in necessarily right. just right. watch and they all come out and do their a couple of years ago they had all the avatar people so yeah it was really interesting oh, yeah. it's really exciting. it was really uh, really cool or people dressed up as avatars so as you go through this significant project yeah we had grant on a little earlier talking about they're going through a significant project um and part of there is just getting the culture to buy in oh. through change yeah. so we have a just a few moments left i'm curious sure. how how is it that you manage through that i've got to accomplish this mission as the military would say but i also have to take care of troop welfare yeah and that can be tricky so how do you guys Manage it's, your way through that. It's definitely a, not a one size fits all and there's no silver bullet. Um, I think working across my peers um, in product DNA and technology has been really important to understand the needs of the different types of roles that we have in the organization. You have your architecture team, you have your infrastructure, you have your developers, um, then you have your product people, your data scientists. Everybody's interested in um, 
how their cheese is going to move, you know, mm-hmm. what their role is going to be. How do we make sure that we've sold them the dream of this is what cloud gives us? How do we show them that this is how everything is going to be better, including your career, your role, your day to day? It's not just what we're doing for Equifax, you know, which is, you know, our, our the company that we work for every day. But how do you make it personal for each person? Um, and you have to you have to use your army to do that. So that's messaging at every level. Um, there's a lot of messaging that comes from our CEO, from our CTO, from our chief product officer. But then there's also messaging that we use, um, you know, champions within the organization to make sure that they understand. Um, and we actually work to get feedback on a regular basis on like, hey, are you clear on what the mission is? Do you understand why every day we're doing this? Um, do you know what our objectives are? Do you know what our key results are? Um, and you know, I'm constantly going out to the organization to find those people who don't know. Mm. Um, I was just telling my team the other day, I met somebody who didn't know, they didn't know the goals, they didn't know, the, like, so constantly going out to find them because when you have an organization of as many people as we have, um, you're, there's bound to be people who are new, who just come in and they're very like work, work focused. Um, and then you got to celebrate the wins. Wins. There's going to be bumps in the road. There's going to be challenges. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. So stop to celebrate when we are doing great. Um, the big ones, the small ones, um, and really use the, some of the times where things didn't go so well to say, hey, you know what, I learned something. And we're gonna use that and put it back into the system and help someone else not go down the same path. But um, it's a constant uh, conversation. It's constant engagement. Um, One of the things I love about being at Equifax is the engagement um, as an honor and as a service leadership trait that the people I work with have. We're constantly sitting with the people, working with the people um, and you know, we beat ourselves up sometimes when we hear about things. We're like, wow, that did not resonate well. Mm. You know, we got to we got to do better, you know. Um, so it's not just a here's the gospel. Go forth, be with God. It is a constant, you know, how do we get the choir in every place in space to make sure they understand what's mm. going on? Um, and they want to be a part of it. You know, they're proud to be a part of it. They're mm. excited to be a part of it. So that's kind of been our approach. And it, it doesn't stop. Sometimes I feel like it's 24 hours, seven days a week. <laughs> I can only imagine, as the song says. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The lovely. Thanks for coming on the show today, Thank and you. enjoy your tournament. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you I'm so much. Have fun today. All right, she's going right. to win today. I expect <laughs> yeah. at least something. <laughs> okay. Have a good one. All right. Bye. Goodbye. Nate, thanks for coming on the show. I know the very first thing you're thinking about. You thought about it right when you sat down. What's the over and under on this chair supporting me for their whole conversation? We don't know. Joel's got like 30 bucks on it. I heard him making a bet with some of the folks off camera, but uh, I think it's going to make it, but it is creaking, so I'm not going to move around too much. It's a race. It's a race race. with me. Yeah, this is is a great pleasure to have you on. Thank you. Let's just dive right into it. I'm really curious. You guys are going through a... um, divestiture, a spinoff right now. What is what is that like? In the midst of managing your business, you've got this going on. What's that like? Yeah. So I've been around GE for 21 years and this kind this type of activity is the the, the largest spin, merger, acquisition, whatever you want to call it. Right. Uh, you know, GE Corporation separated into three distinct investable investment grade companies. Right. Uh, the healthcare business spun off already. The power business as GE Vernova and the GE Aerospace business will spin off 
early part of next year. So there's a lot of work that we're doing to create these new companies. Yeah. Um, just follow up on that. So my family, uh, not me, but my family has been in the aerospace business one way or the other forever. Raytheon, IBM, Ford Aerospace, Lockheed Martin, et cetera. My dad was on shuttle for 25 something years, yep. stationed for a number of years. Um, what do you do in the aerospace business? Because there's a there's a wide variety of things you could be. Do you make super secret stuff? There, there is super secret stuff, and that's uh, that's all I can say about that. Okay, well, uh, that's disappointing. Uh, but uh, for my role with the GE Aerospace business, I'm the CIO for our supply chain really? division. You're right. So I get the uh, opportunity to deal with a lot of our commercial and our military activities, our non-classified activities, of course. There's a very small group that gets to deal with that. But it's, it's a fun space to be a part of. We contribute to, uh, you know, lifting people up, flying them around the, ro- the world and bringing them home safely. Uh, and, and then we support the warfighter and yeah. the allies uh, across the globe. And in turbulent times, that's uh, you know, a pretty proud thing to be a part of. Have you ever just one time picked up like a red phone prop on your desk where your boss walks in the room? I need the part to that thing you don't know about. And I need it yesterday to help. That would be so much fun. That would be fun. The most uh, exciting I can say is I've walked through 18-inch vault doors. But Okay, let's not say any more it. than that. <laughs> Uh, I, I'm curious because you're in the supply chain area. Yeah. Are we back to normal now or is there still issues happening with supply chain as far as think, fallout from the pandemic? Well, certainly I think inflationary pressures are a concern You know, globally. Luckily, uh, we have long-term agreements. We're a very long cycle business uh, and there's a ton of demand as commercial air traffic has increased. Uh, so we're in a pretty good position, honestly. Like We're being cautious of of our costs, as always, that's the way we operate. But it's something to keep an eye on. But I think at the end of the day, you know, people want to move around the world again, and it's exciting to be here in an event where we're all together, and and to not be talking about the period that we weren't flying right. uh, around. So it uh, feels good to be part of that. Then you said you've been with GE in some form for twenty years, yep. right? Yep. Can you just give me a brief like history? So you started, and how did you go from? Entry level position to CIO. So I started actually in Cincinnati, Ohio, a graduate of Miami University into a leadership development program in GE. And uh, it's a phenomenal leadership development uh, history with GE. And then just went through multiple different divisions. A lot of it was about taking risk and, and moving my family, quite frankly. I uh, worked in a power business twice, a locomotive business, uh, the digital business, and then uh, just returned to the aerospace business. And just took, you know, you take the hob, the hard job uh, and, and, and you get into the details and you really have to enjoy what you do. And this latest move for me within the supply chain for aerospace is supply chain is a, a passion of mine. I always feel uh, like I'm doing good work when I walk into a factory to help uh, our operations teams uh, turn metal and deliver product. And uh, so I'm excited to be where I'm at today. I learned a year or two ago that GE, I think this is still true, was the largest manufacturer of locomotives or one of them on earth. I talked to a guy who was just retired from GE and I was like, you're in the locomotive business? He said, yeah, for 40 something years with them. I was, that blew my mind. It's a fun business. That was, uh, so it's now a division of Wabtec, no longer part of the GE family, but I worked there for 10 years yeah. uh, in Erie, Pennsylvania. And it's, uh, you know, it's again, you, you think about the contributions to 
moving freight across the nation, across nations globally. Right. Um, and uh, and the challenges uh, that come with that. We were we were doing a lot on the IT side of optimizing trips and routing and fuel usage and velocity. And you get into some really cool optimization. And this was, you know, 10, 12 years ago before everyone was jumping all over AI. And yeah. Like, Pre-chat, GPT. Like, that's right. There was a world before that. We weren't asking them what to do. <laughs> Just this one last question. Yeah. Um, I've talked to a lot of people in the supply chain business from a lot of industry. And I, I love to find out some of them are bringing for lack of a better word, manufacturing, but production of whatever, they're, they're reshoring it, they call it. Um, but, but gee, he is a global, like, I don't even know how you would do that. I'm pretty sure you're at least on the moon, if not Mars. Like, I don't know how that would work, but do you consider that or those complexities? Because one of the things that the supply chain challenges have demonstrated is that when our distribution models get interrupted, in areas that we have no control over, it just it just a huge backlog. So, how do you consider the reshoring or um, uh, you know being able to deliver on? So, single source is bad, right? That presents a lot of risk when you're in the in, either inflationary, in recessionary environment, or uh, that particular supplier has issues. We have for um, for some, in some instances pursued best labor rates and expanded around the world, but honestly. Our uh, our um, footprint is based on collaboration with customers more than anything. When we partner with governments and we partner with international companies, they want an investment in their area. And so, I think in good faith and and leveraging great talent globally, you know, we're able to kind of spread the footprint of our operations. Now, we do have to be careful about some of the more specific uh, U.S. government entities that we and work that we do, but. Largely, it's a partnership in, in good faith with our customers and, and governments around the world that we work with. I've got a question about 3D printing. Does that fall under supply chain? There is an additive business, so it stands as its own business. It does, you know, there's a lot that we do to experiment internally and develop the product. It stands alone and sells, uh, sells externally into the market as well. And, uh, you know, we make a very complex product. It's uh, exposed to a lot of heat and pressure and uh, motion. So, so figuring that equation out is, uh, is, a, is a hard thing to do. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while to get it right for some of the more critical parts, but it's a really interesting space and we're continuing to make great strides in that business. I got to speak to Boeing about a year or two ago and I was surprised at how many of the components for some of the engines that they 3D print. Mm -hmm. Right now, your supply chain's about getting it from metal to parts, right? And so that's obviously a part of it. Do you see us doing a lot more? Is there some natural barrier to like, like, like the speed of light? Is there some barrier that we will only be able to ever produce a certain amount of products or is 3D printing going to be possible for like everything? I think it'll continue to evolve. I think we have to have some patience. We've, we've been doing reductive manufacturing for a long time and learned a lot of great techniques. And uh, starting with a with a, a, a treated casting is is something that uh, is hard to replicate in the additive space. Raw material is really important. Skill sets really important. So, you know, I think it's it's got a lot of promise, but I think we have to have some patience for it to get all the way into some of the more complex parts. It, it's phenomenal. I've got to talk to people that are three D printing food for NASA or uh, organs, or in in dealing with things where you're building. We we had uh, Maggie Grout on who's with Thinking Huts. They're building 
they they have a deployable 3D printer that prints with a like a concrete Surrey, these buildings, like just, it's just really, really cool. And even the printers, the way that they've evolved, they've gone from these big frameworks to these on wires or a wide variety of things, but things that are hollow, things that have uh, delicate, they're, they're more difficult. Um, it's really, I, did, I, um, I remember Joel told, telling me in a previous conversation about some of the conversations he's had and that it's uh, fascinating to me. It leads me, though, to this space. I am curious. We kind of joked about ChatGPT earlier, and I don't want to pick on uh, you know that particular type of AI. But how, what's the role as you, in aerospace in general, supply chain in particular, as you imagine what everybody else is talking about, these tools, whether it's as simple as ML, it's amusing for me to say ML simple, Very machine simple, learning, yep. or what some version of artificial intelligence how is it that you guys are deploying this in your world or, or embracing it? Yeah, I think I think the concept of learning models is what's important. I mean, we obviously quality is paramount for what we do. Yeah. Right. And so if you think of the amount of data that we capture, both, frankly, still manual and digital, um, evolving that, establishing these ML models, testing them and testing them again and again. I think there's you know a lot of objective evidence that we've got to gather to feel good about potentially automating some decision making. That's yeah. kind of where I'll put the AI space. Yeah. But ML and model development and data uh, mining and the acquisition that we're doing around algorithms is constant and, and evolving. And I think it's going to make large strides for us in terms of quality and inspection capabilities. But we're going to be you know, conservative of automated decision making until we have a, a very high level of confidence. Yeah. Yeah, you don't want the robots running your business until you're confident in them. <laughs> I don't. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I I like to experiment. Um, do you have another question? No. I've got one. Okay. So good because I got one. I'm really curious. <laughs> have you? Um, there's an engineer. I forget his name. Perhaps you know if you know this term. But he's from GE, and he coined this phrase called data gravity. Are you familiar with the concept no, of data no, gravity? No. So it's really cool. So when you were talking about the amount of data and algorithm, the first time I saw the world really get its mind blown by a device or a mechanism that could generate a lot of data almost instantaneously was they were measuring the data coming out of a GE engine, airplane engine. Tremendous amount in every way, the frame, the heat, the, the pressure, all these other things. And how would we start? Most of it just gets dropped, right, and wasted. Um, and so now that we're developing synthetic storage and DNA, synthetic DNA and all just really cool stuff. But the idea of data gravity is data sets get so big, you don't pull the data to an app. Um, the app gets pulled to the uh, to the data. And it, I, I'm wondering if you've experienced any of that yet. The volumes of data that we deal with. Absolutely. And that that is the key, finding how to you know navigate through the noise, filter the noise out. The technologies are amazing that enable us to acquire, store, and process massive amounts of data. But honestly, the intelligence around the algorithm that matters to the outcome, that's where we spend all our time, right? So I, for me, especially in my role, I have a lot of smart people on my team that bring uh, these options to us. Yeah. For me, it's always about, can I translate that into outcomes? Do I have a high level of confidence in how we're processing it? And I think you're right. The days of just kind of working through a 12-month application <clears throat> development and trying to get the fundamentals right in IT are gone. Mm -hmm. We're moving uh, much faster today, and I'm excited about where we're going. 
to your point of making things clear, I just learned a new term this past week called meaningful observability, which is talking about how we have all of this data. We have more data than we could ever want. We have more metrics and dashboards and analytics and all of this. And now it's we're going to move into this new age of meaningful observability. What do we really need to be focused on? And I'm excited about that. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, well, we've got to wrap it up here in just a second. We have two final questions. You could answer either or both of them. Okay. One, are you going to win the whole thing? If not the whole thing, are you going to be closest to the pin on anything? Okay. Uh, I, uh, no and no. Yeah, probably so how's the point? That's probably the right. How are answer. we screening our guests? I don't know. Listen, this is going to be public. I have to be honest. <laughs> Someone's going to be out there watching me swing a golf club and realize I'm lying. So. I, I actually do have one yeah, actual last it. question. So CIO, obviously the term is it varies, and the one that comes up most common in my head is like you know network servers internal facing, and then CTO typically product outward facing. But you have all these networks and machines building all these things and then the whole supply chain. So can you just quickly run me through like what you oversee as CIO? It's funny. I think in large enterprise IT, it's, it's reversed from your observation. CTO is typically internally focused, right? Establishing infrastructure, network connectivity, device, digital workplace. CIO tends to represent the leadership team uh, in the different functions and and liaise the relationships and and establish priorities and so yeah I, I work with our vice president of supply chain across all of aerospace I work with our CIO and my job is to make sure that our digital systems provide the right capabilities visibility transactional standard work uh, uh, governance and uh, and uh, really leads towards the outcomes that differentiate us in the market for uh, for aerospace so it's a fun place to be I've got a great people on the team and, and uh, GE is really excited about where we're going uh, as a separate company. We did it, Dave. We did it. Perfect. And uh, without getting kicked out of the clubhouse, because we got to get you off to a shotgun start. Nate, thanks for showing up today. We really appreciate it. I appreciate the invite. Enjoy the conversation. Thank you, guys. All right. Thank you. Thank you.